The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Today's entitled, The Unsung Hero. The Unsung Hero. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would come and quicken our hearts by your spirit and uncover, Lord, what needs to be uncovered. Lord, we have gathered here in your name because our faith is in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the cleansing of our hearts, and for lifting us up and making us strong in your spirit. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Not even against ourselves. We're flesh and blood. The struggle is not even against ourselves. The word says, Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some of you think the battle is with yourself, with your evil nature. That's not where the battle is. The battle is with the spiritual forces of evil that have come against us to try to destroy us, to try to exploit the weaknesses of our character, in order to destroy us. The answer given is therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. In other words, there are very specific times when the devil will come rushing in like a lion to devour you, and then he'll leave you. And some of you have said, Oh, I seem to get along fine, and then suddenly it's as though just a wind comes blowing through my soul, and I'm gone. And I have said to several of you, the battle has to begin before the wind begins to blow. You have to make decisions about your life in Christ before the temptation comes. The victory over the temptation does not come when the temptation comes. It comes before the temptation comes. As we make covenant decisions with God about who we serve and where we stand. So that when the emotions come, they are governed by decisions that we have made. So when I begin to feel this way, I'm not headed to the refrigerator. Or when I feel this way, I'm not headed to that darkness. When I feel this way, I make a decision. I will go to the prayer closet. And I will lay it out. And I will tell the Lord exactly what I'm feeling. And ask him to take charge of it. And ask him to give me the victory against the power of darkness that's coming against me. If you wait until you're in the midst of the war, you will lose it. You need Jesus with you before the war starts. So we have to look carefully at what are the trigger points in our life that get the buttons pushed, the emotions triggered, the lust of the flesh triggered. We have to know what those are before they are pushed. Because the demons are coming. The day of evil is coming. 
in order to pull you off base. But if you know ahead of time, and look, haven't we been around this merry-go-round enough times? I mean, don't you recognize in your life the danger signals as they begin to go off, the flares begin to go off? You know what that signifies. You know what the issues are. So before those go off, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with them. And not, I mean, come on. In the midst of the battle, it's easy to play dumb and unconscious and just go with the flow. Am I right? This person knows just exactly what they need to say to you to get that Pavlonian response from you. They know exactly what button to push. You start getting too close to them, and they know immediately that they can change the subject if they make a certain statement to you. You've been around this mulberry bush enough times. We need to be recognizing what those statements are and pray through them in the prayer closet before the Lord so that when those statements are made, we don't have that same response. Instead, we might say, are you trying to change the subject? Is this something you don't want to talk about? If so, why don't you just say you don't want to talk about it, and then let's set a time when we can sit and talk about it. I mean, when you begin to cut through the games and begin in love to speak the truth, the war is over. If you can have a partner or a person in your life understand that when they begin to push those buttons on you that they've been successful at for many years, and you simply say to them, I changed the order of buttons. What you're saying to me only makes me curious now. The whole game has changed because they don't know what order the buttons are in anymore. When the control freak decides he's going to grab a hold of you and tell you how you're supposed to function, and you respond with curiosity and say to them, Are you feeling insecure right now? Are you are you feeling is your heart hurting right now? Are you struggling with something right now? Could we talk about what's going on with you? Don't try to push my button. I change the order. Suddenly the whole relationship shifts. It's different because we're not struggling against that person. Our fight is not with a person of flesh and blood. So we've got to very quickly understand and learn how to take the poison out of the relationship by not flowing in the old way of darkness as we might have done in the past. Now, there's a great danger in doing this. The danger is they might get very, very angry. And of course, then it's behooving to you to get even more compassionate and more curious about what they're so angry about. And with a smile, you can say, we can either fight or we can go have some fun together. Which would you rather do? And very quickly, the fight will be over. I mean, bottom line, we all want one thing. We want to be loved. We want to be respected as people. So the fight is not with another person. The fight is with these spiritual powers that control their lives or our lives. And when we understand we've been around the mulberry bush enough times, we make a decision, I'm not going around that bush one more time. I mean, how many times has a conversation started with someone you know and you could give them that conversation verbatim. They, they don't even need to say another word. You could, by memory, just give the whole conversation. Am I speaking to any of you? So if we already know the conversation and we already know the end, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. So how about if we change the conversation and recognize who the enemy is and they're not the enemy? 
Now, it's interesting to me, the Apostle Paul speaks about putting on the full armor of God in another passage of Scripture, and I thought it had I had it easily at hand for you. Uh, but in that passage of Scripture, he speaks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and he speaks about it being hope and love. Hope and love as the breastplate of innocence. The word righteousness, dikasune, means innocence. The breastplate of innocence is hope and love. So the hope is we can change this conversation. (laughs) Okay? Because there's love being expressed. There's not hostility on your part. Because you're not fighting against them anymore. You're dealing with them honestly. So he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And you recall we spoke about truth being doctrinal purity and about sincerity, integrity. Then it speaks about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of innocence. Now I have two questions for you. Number one, how do you feel about your sin if there is such in your life? How do you feel about it? Question number two, Are you content with Jesus? Are you content with Jesus? These questions, as I meditated on them, led me to my unsung hero. He has only a few verses of scripture to describe. He He was the second son of Adam and Eve. Chapter 4 of Genesis, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Now literally in the Hebrew, at this end of times, I brought forth a man. She expected Cain to be the Messiah. She thought, the Lord had sent a Messiah to save them. She had no, no ability to even comprehend the idea that 6,000 years later we'd still be struggling with her wickedness before God. It would have crushed her heart. You've seen the Olympic Games and the gold medalists come forward and they stand on those podiums And everyone cheers. I want to see the day on that great stage in heaven. When Jesus comes out. And says I want to introduce the heroes of the faith. And he calls Adam and Eve out. I believe there's going to be. A standing ovation. That will rock the heavens. They had no concept what they had unleashed. I suspect they were taken quickly after their deaths, however, to be with the Lord. Because I suspect he wanted them to see everything as it unfolded. I'm sure it has broken their hearts time after time after time. She said, with the help of the Lord, or in these end times, I brought forth a man. She thought this was the man who was going to have the power to crush the head of that serpent. And then she gave birth to Abel. Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of his first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of his firstborn of his flock. 
the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. But the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. We have to understand, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities and powers. And they come to seduce us, to anger us, to create pride in our hearts, to create animosity in our spirit, to create judgments against each other and against the Lord God of heaven. They are determined to win our favor. And the Lord is saying, look, this is not something that is passive. Sin is not passive. It is active. It is viral. It comes after you. In the West, they call the rattlesnake the gentleman. Because he warns you before he strikes. And if he can, he'll flee from you. But down south, they have the water moccasin. And the water moccasin will come after you. It is not afraid of you. It comes after you. It is aggressive. Satan does not warn you before he strikes. And he is aggressive. He and his demons come after you. And they are on your tail right now. They are determined you will not serve Jesus. And they don't care what they need to do, who they hurt. They are coming for you. That's why this question I've asked. First of all is, how do you feel about your sin? If we're going to deal with our sin before it has an occasion to rise up. If we're going to deal with a beast that crouches at the door and is determined to have us. We're going to have to look at how he's been successful in the past in capturing our hearts and dragging us to his lyre where he consumes us. We're going to have to carefully meditate and think about the avenues of his attack. Now, his avenues are different for each one of us. For some of you, someone can be cross with you, and you can just smile at them and say, you're having a bad day, aren't you? So the devil knows that it's not worthwhile to send to you a cross person. But for some of you, as soon as you deal with a cross person, you're cross back at them. And you're in their face because it's very personal for you. The devil knows exactly where your weak point is. He knows what is buried in your soul. And he will come after you with whatever it is that's buried in your soul. One man, alcohol will come after him. And everywhere he goes, someone is offering him a drink. He knows that if he takes one drink, he'll take two drinks and three drinks. I was yesterday in public, and there was a man who was smashed. I know certain things about him because he was telling everybody. He's a retired colonel from the U.S. Army. Very, very important man. Great achievements. How do I know he was telling everybody? The woman he was with was utterly embarrassed. You could see her trying to just pull a cover over her head and disappear from this strong, masculine colonel who was drunk. So finally they went and got in the car and he drove. And they made their way weaving down the highway. 
Very important man. VIP. Well, that man has a demon after him. And if he takes one drink, he'll take two. I haven't had anyone offer me a drink, and I can't tell you how long. Because the devil knows it won't do any good. I'll laugh and say, thank you very much, but I don't drink. Not a big deal. And some of you who might have wine with dinner. The devil's not going to come after you. Because he knows you'll have one glass of wine and you won't have any more because it's not a big deal for you. But some of you, you take a glass, you'll go for a bottle. And if you go for a bottle, you're going to lose your sense of judgment. And the next thing you know, you're going to be moving into a very active sin because the devil knows that's the first step to affect your conscience. And when your conscience is no longer functioning, he knows the lust in your heart, and he know he can he knows that he can trigger you into walking right into some path of darkness and destruction. So you don't wait until he presents that opportunity to walk into darkness. You cut him off at the alcohol and say no. But you have to think through these issues. Some of you. Your precious stuff is the most valuable stuff in the world to you. You have your little collection of whatever it is, and you would die for that. So the devil knows all he has to do is show you a new one like that, and you'll go spend your money on it. And so you have a whole collection of salt shakers or stamps or some other thing And nothing wrong with a stamp collection until it becomes obsessive. And when it becomes obsessive, it's wrong. When you spend all of your time and energy and money, it's sin. See, sin comes in many different dresses. One of the dresses sin comes in is something that is not sinful at all until it becomes obsessive in our life. And then the other is when it's absolutely evil and leads to darkness, and we know it leads to darkness. See, I'm asking the question today, how do you feel about your sin? Are you willing to be honest about your sin and how you feel about it so that you can head it off at the pass and not allow it into your heart. Some of you enjoy a good fight. You'd rather argue than do anything else. Well, you know it's sin, but you like to fight. You have to understand what your sin is. All of us are responsible to the Holy Spirit. We are responsible individually before God. And we must understand our own hearts. We must understand the weaknesses of our character. Because it's at that lowest point of the fence that the devil is going to come and try to climb over into your heart. And if you're not vigilant and understand what those issues are, you'll have no defense against them. I saw something that just absolutely astounded me. There was a, you may have seen this, there was a survey done. They put college-age young people in a room by themselves to see how they could handle 12 to 15 minutes of silence with no cell phones, no CDs, no nothing, just by yourself. But before they put them in that room by themselves, they gave each one a shock. And the shock was equivalent to rubbing your feet on the carpet and then touching, and it zaps you, right? 
I don't think any of us enjoy being zapped. I don't. Well, they put these young people in this room and then gave them a button they could push. And if they pushed the button, it would zap them. And most of the young people would rather be zapped with electricity. Some only once, some one person a hundred and some times. They just kept zapping themselves because they could not stand to be alone. One man, he just separated from his wife. And I met him at a restaurant, and he was with a woman. And I went to him, I said, hello. And I said, introduce me. And so he did. I said, ma'am, could we leave you here a minute? I need to talk to him. And I took him outside. I said, what are you doing? You still have a wife. This is wickedness. He said, Pastor, I can't stand to be alone. I'm going crazy. Now, I don't have any real interest in this woman. But she at least talks to me. And I'm not alone. I said, tell me something. If you divorce your wife, will you marry this woman? He said, absolutely. I said, do you love her? No. He said, well, why would you marry her? Because I don't want to be alone, Pastor. I go crazy alone. If we're going to deal successfully with the devil, we're going to have to learn how to be alone. We're going to have to read the scriptures alone. We're going to have to deal with those issues that rise in our hearts. And we're going to have to know what they are before they come and grab us and drag us off by our hair. Being alone can be very painful. Because suddenly you have to look at things that are coming up in your heart. And then you either have to go and get what you want to zap yourself. And some people zap themselves with their cell phone, with Facebook, with television, with movies, with food, with pets. I mean, we can choose to zap ourselves with anything we want to zap ourselves with. The question is, are we going to choose for a few minutes not to go there and listen to the Holy Spirit as he deals with our inner heart and deals with our sin? And that raises the question, is your sin so precious to you that you're willing to continue going around that mulberry bush Or are you finally willing to say, Jesus, take my sin. I don't want it anymore. I have yet to find a person who can honestly say to me, when I have finally said to the Lord, I want to hate this sin, will you take it from me now? I have found not one person where the Lord has not been faithful in taking that sin and healing that place in that person's heart. Always when the sin remains, it's because we want it to remain. It is how we satiate the pain of our heart. It's how we deal with the rejection of our soul. Sin is always there to comfort the rejected part of our heart. And tell me, which of you has not felt the pain of rejection. Being cast aside, being scorned by those we wish would love us, all of us have experienced this multiple times in our lives with parents, 
It wasn't until I was an adult that I finally understood that my mother really did love me. As a kid, I thought she only wanted me to love her. She was extremely immature and pampered and self-centered. And I saw as a child all of her expressions of love being a way to get me to love her. It was the rejection of her heart. And this rejection flows in the family. Goes to grandma and grandpa and to mom and dad and goes to us. Just keeps on rolling. Until finally we're willing to stop and say, what is the pain of my heart? And how am I going to deal with it? And it doesn't work to get a man or a woman involved in our hearts to take care of that pain. That pain can only be taken care of with Jesus Christ. So the first question I ask, how do you feel about your sin? Cain absolutely refused to deal with his sin. The Lord was very clear. If you're going to be accepted, you have to deal with that sin. He said, I don't want to deal with my sin. Now, Abel, on the other hand, and he's my unsung hero. Abel kept the flocks. And he brought the very finest of his flock. And I suspect it was one of his pets. I suspect it was a lamb he loved. He brought that lamb. This was, the world had barely but been created. He knew he was the husband, the caretaker over these precious animals. There was no hardening of the heart yet. I'm sure it was with tears he slew that lamb. They didn't slay the lamb to eat it. They didn't eat meat yet then. But he took the life of this lamb, and he laid it on that altar burnt offering because that's what the Lord God of heaven had commanded. And he laid that on the altar, and Hebrews 11 says, It was a righteous offering, and he was commended as a righteous man. So it raises the second question. Is your heart content with Jesus? Now, no one can answer yes to that question until we have spent time in silence before God and read his word and begun to understand, as Abel did, what sin had created in the world. We are in such a desperate crisis right now in America. More than 300,000 children have been brought across the border. And it's creating a humanitarian crisis of huge proportions created by our federal government to force a union between Mexico, America, and Canada. The sovereignty of this nation is being destroyed, even as we sit here today. The leaders of our nation have become treasonous. They have betrayed our nation. But no one can hold them accountable because they are the executive branch that control the military and the federal police agencies. So who's going to hold them accountable? We see a collapsing of the American dollar. Just this past week, the BRICS nations, even some who are not, are agreeing to trade in local currency. You understand, all oil in America, in the world, has been bought with American dollars. 
So if Russia wants to buy oil, they have to get, they have to purchase American dollars. They buy the oil in dollars only. It's called the petrodollar. Well, now nations are beginning to sell oil for local currencies. Now, you understand that if if the dollar is not used as the petrodollar, the dollar will collapse. And we will go into hyperinflation. They are now in mainstream media talking about what would happen if there was a dollar reset. They're saying that dollar reset could be as much as 70%. So if you have one morning we wake up and the banks are all closed. And when the banks reopen, if you have $1,000 in the bank, you now have $300 in the bank. $700 just disappeared overnight. The government stole it. And there's not anything you can do about it. But now, with that $300, we have to purchase foreign goods at the same price they were before the reset happened. So now an automobile will be 70% higher in cost than it was before. Imported food at Walmart will be 70% higher than it was before. Can you begin to see what that will do to your budget? Your salary will remain the reset salary. Debt will not be reset. So your mortgage, if you have one, you will not be able to pay on your reset dollar. And you'll lose your house. Your car payment will not be reset. And your car will be repoed. Because you won't be able to make the car payment. Your credit card debts will not be reset. You will continue to owe the amount you owe now. But the amount you have to pay it will be dramatically less. Can you see what will happen in America? It's going to be large-scale civil disobedience. It's going to be martial law. Now, where are we with, with the church and with the gospel You've heard me say many times, the National Prayer Chapel will be born in a day. It will not be until people are hungry. And people are terrified because they can't cover their cost and they've gone deeply into debt. That's why I say to you, quickly get out of debt. Do not go into debt because you will lose everything if you are deeply in debt. And then will they establish debtors' prisons once more? Probably they will. And many will be sent to FEMA camps that will be prison camps because you're not able to pay your debt. Then you have ISIS, ISIS, the caliphate that is being formed right now in part of Syria and Iraq. You understand the borders of Iraq are... And the nation of Iraq is a completely artificial boundary. It is not a realistic boundary. The Kurds now have pulled off, taking the oil fields. Turkey wants the oil fields, but they're going to have to fight the Kurds to get it. And then you have the Sunnis coming out of Syria against Iraq. And America armed those Sunni insurgents and gave them military equipment, and the president right now is talking about $500 million being given to the Iraq insurgents 
who are forming the caliphate. On the other side, you have the Shia, and the Shia Muslims control Baghdad, and the government of of Iraq was Shia, and they mistreated the Sunnis. And so now, we equipped the Shias with their military equipment. We trained them for war. So we have two great armies now coming, and that battle will take place in the coming weeks. With American military training, American military equipment, and American money. And men and women by the thousands are going to die. ISIS yesterday crucified five men because they said they were not radical enough in their Muslim beliefs. We are seeing the most horrendous forming of a government that says now our next goal, we're going to take Rome. We're going to take Italy. You're seeing the movement. You realize they took the bank in Mosul where there was over $400 million that they grabbed. They have money to buy arms and equipment. And people are coming from all over the world to join them in their fight for a caliphate. What you're seeing is the shaping for the Gog-Magog war. And when the Gog-Magog war happens, basically scripture then gives us a seven-year countdown until Jesus comes. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Jesus is coming again. We're at the end of time. And so it's imperative for us to consider our sin and to ask honest questions about how we are still being seduced by the devil and determine in our hearts to not go around that mulberry bush again, but to be washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus and walk in holiness before him, because we are coming into terrible times in America when men and women are going to be falling and dying around us, and we may be part of those falling and dying. I'm not saying this to you to cause you to be afraid. We need to face reality and recognize what's happening in this nation. And we need to be preparing And I plead, would you pray and ask Jesus exactly what he wants you to do to prepare? I've been crying out to the Lord, asking him to give us the financial resources to establish a country retreat where if things get really bad in Washington, the prayer chapel could have a place of escape where we could go to the country and be hidden while this craziness goes on. Some of you who live in the inner areas of suburbia or downtown are in grave danger. If trucking is stopped, how long do you think food will be in the grocery stores? A matter of hours and all the food will be gone. Right now, there's a three-day supply of food in the city under normal operating conditions. But if a great crisis happens, all of that food will be stripped out in a matter of hours. It's happened many times with hurricanes, tornadoes, other crises. Grocery stores are stripped clean. So how much food is in your house? How many days could you live before you begin to starve to death? And what are you going to do? Some of you need to do as I'm doing and pray for a way of escape. Pray that the Lord will send us the resources to put away some food. Not only for ourselves, but for others. We're facing a time of great danger, but I'm on the other side saying we face a time of great opportunity 
to love and care for other people and bring to them the gospel message. I believe there's a great harvest that God wants to bring to save souls, to win the lost. I want to be a part of that. But it's going to take resources to do that. And it's going to take prayer closet time to do that. And it's going to take dealing with sin honestly to do that. This unsung hero, this man Abel, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Has the Lord looked upon you with favor because of your offering to Jesus? I'm saying, oh Lord, look with favor on the National Prayer Chapel. Look with favor on our families. Open, open the way for us. Provide a way of escape. Teach us how to walk together as brothers and sisters. Bind our hearts together. That we would not be torn apart by conflict, by world events, by sin. But walk clean in Jesus. Now I can tell you, the Lord God of heaven said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I want to be accepted by Jesus Christ. I want to be accepted by Jesus. That's more important to me than anything else. I want to be accepted by Jesus, and I want to be accepted by Jesus' people. I want to walk in fellowship with the people of God. I want us to not have ought against one another, but to walk in the fellowship of Jesus Christ, righteous and holy before him. How do you feel about your sin? What will it take? For you to finally say, Lord, I see that mulberry bush. I've been going around and around and around. I don't want to go around it anymore. I see what I've been doing. I see the pattern of my behavior. There are certain areas I've not gained the victory. I'm asking, would you give me the victory? Give me the victory over my tongue. Give me my, the victory over my feet. Give me the victory over the attitudes of my heart. Give me the victory over the temptations that the devil wants to come and lay out so beautifully before me. Give me the victory, Jesus. I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. I want to walk clean in Jesus. Have you determined that in your heart? Or have you kept some pocket gods? Have you kept any of those things put away in your heart where you're saying, look, I know I want to be right with Jesus, but there's this one thing. If I don't have this, I'll die. No, if you keep it, you'll die. If you keep it, you'll die. This work is not casual work. It takes time with paper and pencil sitting before the Lord, writing down what the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us. I tell you, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I can hear it so clearly, and then a day later I can forget all about it. Because the press of things to do, I can forget all about it. But if I write it down, and I keep it right here in my Bible... So every day when I go, I say, okay, Lord, I see this is an issue. I believe it's covered. I believe it's resolved. I'm not going there anymore. But, Lord, I know in a moment of weakness, I could go back to that attitude. I could go back to that feeling of bitterness. I could go back to feeling like you've treated me unfairly or whatever the feeling is. I could go back to that. And if I do, I know I'll be dragged into sin God, protect me from the enemy. I want the victory. I guess what I'm trying to say to you today is 
the Christian faith has to have tires that hit the, hit the road. There has to be progress on this journey. And some of you have been stuck where you are because you reached out and you grabbed for a person or you grabbed for a thing or you grabbed for something and you're hanging on for dear life because you think that that will be taken from you if you surrender to Jesus. Guess what? It might be. But it might not be. We serve a Savior who is so kind, so merciful, so gentle, so compassionate. He's not here to steal from us. He's not here to make us miserable. He's here to take away those things that we've become accustomed to that cut us and hurt us and cause us anguish of heart. He wants to remove those things from us. He wants to set us free. He wants us to fellowship with him. I urge you this week to deal with these two questions. Write them in your Bible. How do I feel about sin? And am I content with Jesus? And if any discontent with Jesus rises in your heart, confess honestly to him your discontent and ask him to give you understanding and to change the course of your path. Almighty God, it's so much easier to think that my fight is against flesh and blood and to struggle with people. But Lord, I know the battle is not with flesh and blood. It's with these demon powers that come so cunningly to trick me and to cause me to fall. Lord, I take my stand today with truth buckled around my waist. Lord, I don't want lies anymore. I want the truth. I will face the truth of my heart's condition before you. Because I know that by your blood I can be washed and changed and transformed into your likeness. And Lord, I come and put on the breastplate of righteousness today. I desire to be innocent in all things. Lord, I ask for each person in this congregation today. That with an honest heart we'll deal with these questions. And trust your Holy Spirit to answer them for us. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com.